All right, Psalm 3, beginning in verse number 1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cry unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I wait, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon Thy people. Now sometimes it's not just the words or the music of a song that, that's compelling. Uh, I, I wish I had a little more time. I probably would try to look up see what the background on uh, the song Jack was playing. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. I love that song. But the, it's a, it's a, that's a beautiful song that stands on its own with the music and with the words. There are fine songs that uh, are written on great days, sunny days, or somebody just sitting at a desk and they write out a, just a very beautiful, beautiful song. But there's something about a song that is composed in the darkest of times. I was thinking along the lines of that, and I thought of our national anthem, written during the War of 1812. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer who was sent to negotiate the release of an elderly Dr. William Bennis, Beans, I'm not sure how you say that, who is a prisoner, they had, they, they had accused him of helping arrest some British soldiers or something, but the British had him prisoner on a ship out, out of Baltimore Har Harbor. Francis Scott Key, along with a, a Colonel John Stuart Skinner, sailed out, met with the British officers on the ship, and on September 7, 1814, they had negotiated for the release of this elderly doctor. Unfortunately, while they were there, they overheard some of the plans for the British attack. So the British would not let them go until this attack took place a few days later. And on September 13th, almost a week later, the British began bombarding Fort McHenry there in the harbor. For 25 hours, 16 different British ships poured their fire on that fort. They say over 1,500 bombshells and 700 rockets were fired on that fort during that 25 hours. Inside the fort, they had a couple different flags, actually. And when the, when the battle began, they had what they called their storm flag. It was their little flag. It was 17 feet by 25 feet. I don't know how you call that little, but that was their storm flag. And it threw, flew throughout the assault. But as the bombardment ceased overnight going into the morning of, the, of September 14th, Don revealed that the garrison had taken down that small flag, their storm flag, and raised their larger flag, 30 feet by 42 feet. I have seen it in the Smithsonian. You, you cannot do it justice how large that flag is. Both, by the way, have 15 stripes and 15 stars. Just as an odd little fact. It was that huge flag that Francis Scott Key looked out wondering what would be there in that fort after all that fire. And he saw that giant flag with its 15 stars, 15 stripes blowing in the breeze 
that inspired him to write a poem called The Defense of Fort McHenry, which later was, became the Star-Spangled Banner. Another oft-told story behind one of the most wonderful gospel songs ever written, I like to repeat it, is uh, the, the song It Is Well With My Soul. Now I'm going to read what's in the, uh, I've got a book back there, it's a handbook to the Baptist hymnal, and it tells a story. I'm going to read what they wrote. It says, An event of great tragedy is associated with the writing of this hymn. Its author, Horatio G. Spafford, was a Chicago lawyer and the respected friend of prominent evangelists such as Moody, Sankey, and Bliss. In 1873, Spafford, his wife, and their four daughters were advised by their family doctor to take a European holiday, primarily to improve the state of Mrs. Spafford's health. Unexpected business matters forced Spafford to postpone his departure. But his wife and daughter sailed as scheduled on the SS Villa de Havre. I looked that up, Villa de Havre. In November 1873, an English sailing vessel, the Lockyer, collided with that ship on November 22nd. The Villa de Havre sank in a matter of minutes. The daughters were lost, but Mrs. Spafford was rescued. On December 1st, when the survivors had been brought to Cardiff in Wales, Mrs. Spafford sent the message, Saved Alone. Spafford wrote the words of this hymn as the ship taking him to meet his wife neared the spot of the tragedy. Now those are just two examples of, of great songs, profound words written there in the darkness of tragedy, the darkness of hard times. I'd tell you those to point out that this psalm also has a similar setting. If you were to look up there above verse 1, you will see a little heading. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. David was king, but his son Absalom attempted to take the throne. Hearing of Absalom's plot and how the people had turned for him, David flees from his home in Jerusalem. He ends up crossing over the Jordan River and going over east of the Jordan. It's one of the lowest times in the life of David. Oh, he'd run for a few years from Saul, but how could that compare to your own son seeking your life? That's the setting for this psalm. David's on the run. He does not know if Absalom will overtake him before he can find safety. His life and his kingdom could vanish at a moment. Yet David found hope in God. 3,000 years later, the words of this psalm still ring true. In the troubles we face, and I doubt any of us have problems as great as what David was facing, we can find hope and strength in the Lord. First thing I want us to see is the cry of a troubled heart. The cry of a troubled heart, the first two verses. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many, uh, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. See law. And by the way, see law appears three times, only appears about 70 times in the scriptures, uh, or three times here in this. It means to pause, to meditate on the, what was just said. Here's David on the run, and like I said, I don't think any of us have ever, may, hopefully will never experience anything like what he was experiencing. I can't imagine what is going through his heart at that time. How are they increased that trouble me? Many that rise up against me. 
His son, His subjects, His officers, His trusted advisor. So many now turned against the man who was once the darling of Israel. He was overwhelmed, swallowed up in despair. But not only his enemies were against him, I think this is interesting, his own friends were. Because it says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. I don't think he's talking about his enemies. I think he's talking about his friends right there. Well, some kind of friends, right? Those aren't enemies mocking him. Those are the people that are fleeing with him. They're saying it's hopeless. God can't save you. We're doomed. Kind of reminds me of those friends that came that showed up to help Job. They're about as helpful right there. With friends like that, you sure don't need any enemies. So here's David in a terrible situation. He's hunted. He's discouraged. What does he do? Well, he talks to God. You might get distracted when you read those first two verses, but look at the very first part of that. It says, Lord. Who's he talking? He's not just saying, I got problems. He's telling God about his problems. And by the way, that's the Lord, all caps, Jehovah, the self-existent, the eternal one, his great name. Such a simple lesson, so hard for us to do when trouble We need to go to the Lord. Take it to Him. Second thing I want to see is the lifting of a bowed head. The lifting of a bowed head. Verses 3 and 4. But Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy hill. Quite a different tone in those two verses compared to the first two. First two sound like all hope is lost and Darkness is going to swallow up David. Then in verse 3, suddenly it's like the room is filled with light and David stands strong again. What is the difference there? Well, first we see the return of faith. The return of faith. David takes his eyes off his troubles and he puts them on the Lord. He says that God is a shield. By the way, that's not just something he's carrying around. God is the one shielding him. God is actively protecting him. That's 24-7, 365, and also 360 degrees. That's complete and total protection is what's being described there. He says that God is His glory. David couldn't claim to be or have become a mighty king on his own. He says that anything he had is a gift from God. And if we're honest, any good thing we have is a gift from above. If God gave it to him, then God could restore it to him. He says that God is the one that will lift up his head. Once again, it's not David who dragged himself. We like those stories. Somebody picking themselves up by the bootstraps. I like that phrase. They picked themselves up by the bootstraps. Was it David who took himself from a shepherd to being a king? It was God. God chose that faithful young man and says, I'm going to choose him. I see him. He's going to be a great king. Second, Besides the return of faith, we see the answer to prayer. He says, I cried and he heard. (laughs) I love that statement because here's the wonderful thing. We can pray with the guarantee he hears. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just praying. It's bouncing off the ceiling. But you read it, God hears. I cried, he heard. David here, one of the lowest times, and the God who is high and lifted up hears the feeble cry. You know, as with I've thought about this last few weeks, and I'm becoming more and more convinced that I think one of the greatest encouragements we have 
in our Christian life is answered prayer. The fact that the God of this universe hears and answers our prayer. What an encouragement that is. What a hope it is for what we go through to know He hears, He understands, and that He answers our prayer. Third thing I want us to see is the refreshing of a weary mind in verses 5 and 6. I laid me down and slept. I waked for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. They have set themselves against me round about. I'll be honest with you, for the last week or so, you know, I've, I've had a little trouble sleeping. And uh, get in bed, and sometimes your mind don't want to shut off. You think of everything you got to do, and you think of everything we're trying to get ready for the service. And, oh yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I got to remember to do this. I have to remember to do that, and I still forgot to do some things. I got up here yesterday morning and was getting some stuff. Around. I'm like, oh, I forgot. I meant to do that last night. And trying to get all this stuff done. Multiple mornings this week, and this is not like me at all. But ten minutes before my alarm went off, I woke up wide awake. And it's almost like my body knew you got to get up. You got things to you got things to do. And like I say, if you know me very well, that doesn't happen. Now, anything we face, like I say, and anything I've I've faced in, in all that, that's nothing compared to what David was facing. You imagine yourself in his predicament. You're on the run, stopping to take a nap to get a little bit of sleep. That gives your enemy a chance. He doesn't know how close Absalom is behind him. In fact, it's a miracle he escaped. His friend kind of worked that out. You go back and read the story. You're afraid to close your eyes lest your adversary sneaks up on you. I think of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. And I love how the story, how the account of that goes. Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, and then the, then the narrative shifts and it talks about the king. And the king's up all night. The king's worrying. And they go over the next morning and they open it up and he crawls down, Daniel, Daniel! And Daniel says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm fine. That's the Texas version. Hey, I'm, I'm good here. Can I tell you, I don't think that Daniel had that fear I think, I think Daniel's down there and I think God gave him grace and I think God gave him peace and I, I personally like to think he probably had the best night of sleep he had. He cuddled up next to some of those lions, had those uh, nice, soft, warm, fuzzy pillows there of some lion belly and I think he slept pretty good, personally. I thought about our Savior the time he was out on the boat and they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and Oh, the disciples are paying. Some of those professional fishermen, I like to point out, those guys were used to being out on the water. The storm came up and where was Christ? He's in the back of the boat. He's asleep. You know, it's something about that, being able to sleep in the, in the hard times, in the dark times. I thought of the old quartet song I like. There's peace in the time of trouble. There's peace in the midst of the storm. There's peace though the world be raging in the shelter of His arms. I tell you, that kind of peace only comes from one source. That <laughs> only comes from above. It comes from faith in an all-powerful God. That's the peace that lets you curl up and sleep even when hunted, even when surrounded, knowing that God is in control. The fourth thing I want to show you here this morning is the strengthening of a feeble voice. The strengthening of a feeble voice. Verses 7 and 8. 
Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. We've come from a desperate cry in the first couple of verses to, I was trying to think of a good way to describe these. I thought these sound like a battle cry. I think that's a good description of what he has here. We go from, oh God, I, you know, I'm surrounded. Nobody thinks that you'll save me. To here he's saying, arise, O Lord. I mean, there's some boldness in, the, in what he's saying here. He's saying, make haste, my God. Move swiftly. He says, save me, O my God. He's saying, I can't do it myself. God, only you can deliver me. I like, personally, I like the last part of, of, of verse 7. He gets a little descriptive of what he wants God to do. For thou hast smitten all of mine enemies upon the cheekbone. That's, that's a humiliating blow. That's a, I mean, being slapped across the face and struck down. Even in our culture, that's humiliating. Back then, it was even more so to be slapped across the face, be backhanded like that. What an, what an embarrassment. It's, it's not just a loss, but it's humiliating. And I like the last part the best. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Go read the book of Psalms. Every now and then they talk about breaking teeth, and I don't know why. It gives me nightmares to think about that happening to me, but there, there's something about it. It's one of my favorite phrases in Psalms. It basically means God defanged them. Talk about like declawing a cat so they can't scratch you. Well, he's, he's, it's like going to the lion and pulling their teeth out. Are you going to fear them anymore? God says, I'm going I'm to take away the fury. I'm going to take away their power. They will stalk, they will attack, they will consume no more because God breaks their teeth. Now something interesting here, that's, uh, I, was, I was digging in a little bit, a little deeper than I normally go on this, but I found this interesting. The two verbs that are used in that last part of that verse, smitten and broken, are in what's called the perfect tense. I had to look that up. Carrie would probably be embarrassed, but I, I could not remember what the perfect tense was. You know what it is, right? You teach it, so you better know. But the, the perfect, you got past, present, future. Perfect tense, though, it, it shows the surety of completion. Uh, perfect, complete is, is, is a picture there. It's not just a long shot request. He's not just saying, oh God, please do this. In fact, it's, it's some, some people interpret this saying he's already done it. Or he's looking back and saying, God, you've done this before, do it again. But it's just as if God's already answered the prayer. I like that surety that's there. If David would be delivered, he knew that God had to do it. If David's enemies would be defeated, he knew that God had to do it. Out of God's great power, care, and grace, it would be accomplished. By faith in God, David expected to be delivered. And he knew who it was that would do the delivering. I like that when I read this. There's not a whole lot of boasting. And David was a mighty warrior. David was a brilliant strategist. He could have, you say, well, God, I got this under control. <laughs> he probably could have said that. He might have got out of it. He was a brilliant man, a great fighter. But David knew where the victory came from. David knew where deliverance came from. Who saves? God does, not us. Who delivers? God does, not us. Who blesses? Well, I did that when, oh God, that's the blessings of God. All those great things I have, they're just gifts from above. We don't need to forget that. His power, 
His strength, His wisdom are so much greater than ours. Trust in Him, wait on Him, and watch Him work and marvel at the greatness of our God. Wrap this up here this morning. I didn't expect to go very long. I tried to keep it a little short this morning. A few questions. Where do we turn when life overwhelms us? Where do we turn when life overwhelms us? I think it's telling that in this, and we talked a little bit about this Wednesday night. We're talking about how many of the Psalms are, are complaints or laments. We go to God with our troubles and we just pour it out to God. God, look what they're doing. God, this is happening. God, I'm overwhelmed and just pouring out our complaint to God. So he starts out here doing, where, where do we turn? I'm going to tell you, it's something happens to you, who's the first person you call? You pick up your phone, and I'm going to call, I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to call my, my spouse. I'm going, to call, I'm going to call my parents. I'm going to, we all have that person. If I, were to, if I were to go out there and give you a brand new car, there's somebody you would turn and call first. Here's the thing. Who do we turn to first for a Christian? We need to get in the habit we turn to Him first. Before we pick up the phone, before we call somebody, before we post it on Facebook, we need to call out on God. If it's a blessing, thank Him for it. If it's trouble, go ahead and start getting Him on your side. <laughs> go ahead and take it to Him. Where do we turn when life overwhelms us? We need to learn to turn to God. Who do we call in the midst of our trouble? Who do we call when things are overwhelming? Who do we call when we can't see the light? We need to learn to call on God. Then I ask, who are we trusting to lift us up? I tell you, in our American culture, we, we place a lot of emphasis kind of on that self-made man. We like the story of the person who went from rags to riches, who you know, built an empire, started out shining shoes, and became a multimillionaire. We love those stories. But can I tell you this? We have to be careful. Who are we trusting to lift us up? We trust ourselves. I know me good enough. I'll mess it up. <laughs> we can't trust in ourselves. Someone else? Got to be careful there too. But I'm going to tell you the one person you always trust in, and that's God. We can always go to Him. And as musicians come, in all this, since David is looking around and he, he is so overwhelmed in his condition, he cries out to God. He knows he's really in a hopeless position. And he cries out in hope to God. And while this is not necessarily a, a psalm I would preach for a, a, an evangelistic sermon, a gospel message, I can't help but see a parallel there. That we when we look around and we see our state before God, when we see our sinfulness before Him, and we look, we can't save ourselves. We look, nobody else can save us. And we finally have to look up to Him. And we see that Christ and Christ alone can save us. And what do we do? We cry out to Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We cry out to Him. And then who lifts us up? Not us. <laughs> We're still sinful. But it's Christ who reaches down, takes us up. And the Savior reached down for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost, undone, without God or His Son. And the Savior reached down for me.
Have you called on Him for salvation this morning? I hope that you have. If not, don't put that off. Get it done. Don't gamble with tomorrow. What number there, Owen? 120 in the Heavenly Highways. The Blue Book. 120. If you want to sing along with the invitation hymn, if you'll stand, please. Have just a moment of invitation and prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, a simple message, simple study this morning, just looking over a psalm. And Lord, I try to put myself in David's shoes and try to feel that uncertainty, that fear. Lord, I pray that if I were to be in such a circumstance, I would still have that faith. Lord, that we would all have that faith to trust in You, to call on You, to encourage ourselves, to have peace in the midst of the storm. Lord, looking through this, it's not just great over-the-top truths that we're talking about. This is very, very simple things that we need to learn to turn to You. We need to learn to trust in You. Just good reminders for us as we live our lives. Lord, pray that You just press these simple truths home in our hearts this morning during this time. I pray it's in our holy name. Amen.